But just three verses from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thank you very much, Laurie, for leading. Laurie has already got us thinking about praise and worship in everything that we do, and that's really what I want us to think about this morning. Uh, the, a famous rabbi um, of the 20th century, whose name was Abraham Joshua Heschel, he once said, worship is a way of seeing the world in the light of God. And I've liked that ever since I read it, because it reminds us that worship is not just a thing we occasionally do, nor is it limited to any specific activities. Worship encompasses everything. It is a way of seeing the world, and I would actually add, therefore, a way of living life in the light of God. Worship and worship literally in the Bible means to bow or to serve. Worship is a way of seeing the world and living life in the light of God. Now, I think that's basically also the conclusion Paul comes to in verse 17 of these verses, where he says, whatever you do in your words and in your actions, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, the Bible often talks about doing something in the name of someone. Uh, and the idea is that a person's name conveys who they are. So, so names in the Bible uh, were often given to reflect a person's character or a person's situation or indeed uh, destiny. So when, so when it's God's name we're talking about in the Bible, or Jesus's name as it is here, that means Jesus's character, Jesus's reputation. So when we talk, when Paul says to us, you know, do everything in the name of Jesus, what that means is we are supposed to live in a way that always reflects the character, the person of Jesus, who he is. Whatever we do, words or actions, do everything in the name of, in the character of Jesus. Uh, this is exactly actually what the third commandment is about. Uh, you shall not carry the Lord's name falsely. It says now our English translations, I think, obscure it because they often translate it. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain. And people think it's about using God or Jesus as a swear word. But that's not what the commandment is really about. It literally means literally in Hebrew, you shall not carry the Lord's name falsely. It's the idea that if we profess to be people of God, then we carry God's name around with us like a sort of identity label on our lives. In other words, we car carry God's character, God's reputation on us as his people, so that the way we live will reflect on our God. It would be a bit like if a British person goes abroad and they wear this sort of union flag on their t-shirt. How they live in that other country is going to reflect on their home country. Well, as Christians, we wear the name of Jesus on us, and how we live reflects him. So the commandment says, don't carry God's name falsely. In other words, if you're carrying God's reputation around with you as his people, 
Make sure you do not give a false impression of God by behaving in a way that God never would. Paul, in, a, in the positive sense, puts it like this. Whatever you do, do it all in the name of Jesus. Do everything in a way that ref represents Jesus faithfully to others. All right. Now, if that's what our lives are supposed to look like, how on earth can we manage it? Because that's quite a big ask. Everything you do, make sure it reflects faithfully who Jesus is. Uh, and that's what, you know, how are we going to do this? Well, how we do it is really what he talks about leading up to it in the previous verses. Um, he, Paul basically says, look, if we're going to live our whole lives reflecting the name, the character of Jesus, we're going to need each other's help and support. We'll need to have the truth of Jesus, he says, at the center of our lives so that his character is in us. Uh, and he says we're going to need to help each other to focus on Jesus. And because it needs to sink deeply into our lives, he says, you know, this isn't just an occasional thing. We're going to need to do this in ways that deep, reach deeply into who we are. So in verse 14, 15, sorry, uh, Paul talked about the peace of Christ ruling among us as a Christian community. And we thought about that a few weeks ago, so I won't say much. We need a Christian community that unites around Jesus, we said, and that supports one another, just like what Jesus himself did when he was here. He gathered disciples around himself and he taught them to love one another just as he had loved them. That's, that's what we still need, Paul, Paul says in these verses. We need to gather around Jesus and we need to support each other in doing that. This is why I believe in church. This is why we gather together as Christians to encourage each other on our journey with God. And then he says, verse 16, let the word or message of Christ dwell within you richly. So, so we gather together because we need each other. And, and Jesus needs to be at the center of our life as Christians. That's true both as us individually, as Christians, but also collectively at the church. Jesus needs to be deeply rooted at the heart of who we are. Now, the phrase, the word of Christ, uh, it's actually the word logos in Greek here. And it doesn't just mean word in, a, in the grammatical sense of some letters on a page. Uh, logos, the ancient Greeks used this term logos, translated word. Logos referred to the, the principle or the reality that was at the heart of the universe. So the thing, the logos for Greek speakers, was the thing that was at the center of everything. All right? The thing that makes sense of it. Or we, we might say today, the meaning of life. That's what the logos was in the Greek-speaking world. And the New Testament, in a few places, says, actually, that is Jesus. That's who Jesus is. He is the logos, the word, meaning he's the one at the center of all things. And then Paul says, well, then let him be at the center of your lives, too. You know, whether that be our hearts as individuals or the heart of our church community. Jesus is the central reality of all the universe. And that's what chapter one told us. So let him be the center of your lives, too. Richly so, he says, abundantly so. But then we're going to need each other help each other's help for that, to keep Jesus at the center. So it says next, as you teach one another and put into mind all wisdom. Some translations say admonish, which sounds a bit like you're telling someone off, but it literally means that the word used here, 
put something put into mind put into one's mind now sometimes that might be a, about a rebuke but it doesn't necessarily mean that this word it can be it's neutral it can in can be in any setting but the idea is that we put into mind Jesus for each other so if we're going to have Jesus at the center of things we need to help each other keep focused on Jesus teaching each other his wisdom it says keeping each other's minds on Jesus and the wisdom that Jesus embodies again that's why I believe in church that's why Jesus gathers disciples together that's because we grow in our wisdom of Jesus, not isolated by ourselves, but together. And because this wisdom of Jesus that we share with each other is not just a sort of academic subject we're interested in. You know, this, Jesus, is, he's the center of the universe. He's not just a topic of interest that we have. Paul suggests that we use something to help keep Jesus at the center. He suggests we make use of something that has great power to reach very deeply into our human souls. And that thing is music, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Um, now, Paul, I'm glad Paul spoke of a, of a range of different types of songs there because we all have different tastes in music and that's fine. Uh, but the point of it is music has a unique power. Human beings and human communities have always known this, the power of music to reach the parts of us that other things can't. It's the power of the arts. Uh, it, it is often the artists who shape us. Music, like art in general, has a very unique power to reach deeply within us and shape us and teach us and move us and make us think more deeply than we otherwise would have done. Music sinks deep and can reach our emotions in a very special way. Now, this is why films have soundtracks. It's why nations have national anthems. It's why teenagers have their earphones in so much and they follow their favorite bands because they're sh being shaped by this music. It's why a piece of music can instantly trans transport you back to another time, another place, another experience or emotion that you felt. It's why an elderly person whose memory has failed completely in other ways will still know old songs that they learned. And it's why we find ourselves completely involuntarily humming a song without even thinking about it. And it's why whole Christian, whole human communities have always had songs at the heart of their celebrations. And it's why churches have always been places of song as well, because music is not just a thing for our ears. It's a thing for our souls, a great gift that God has given us. And, and it has always filled the lives of Christians through the centuries. And it goes so well with what Paul is talking about here, which is we need our lives to be deeply embedded with the message of Jesus, richly embedded in our hearts, he says. And music is really good at that. Music embeds things in us. Music adds richly. To, to Jesus being at the center of our lives. Now, okay, so those are all interesting things. So gather together, keep teaching each other and putting in each other's mind this, that Jesus is at the center, that he's the Logos, uh, and, and make use of song as you do that because it sinks deeply into you. Okay, those are the practicalities. But I want to now go back to where we started, thinking about a life of worship, what worship means and what worship is. Paul says, whatever you do, 
Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. So worship is about gratitude. Worship is about living our whole lives in the light of Jesus. Worship is carrying his name on our lives and demonstrating his grace in the way that we speak and the way that we live, no matter where we are or what we're doing. So I think we have to be careful that we do not limit the word worship to certain things, because that suggests that we can switch God off at other times. So I'm not overly keen on, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to get like hung up on it, but I'm not overly keen on phrases like worship time, because it seems to suggest that, you know, worship only happens at a certain time or when you're doing a certain thing or feeling a certain way, uh, you know, it's as if it's only 10.30 to 11.30 on a Sunday morning. And of course, we know that's not true. We worship God with our whole lives. I was chatting recently uh, to a young guy who's a worship leader at quite a big uh, Baptist church at, down in, in, on the South Coast. And he's now, I'd met him because he's now taking on a more sort of pastoral role in the church as well. And he said, we were having a conversation about worship. And he said something I found really helpful. He pointed out that we make a mistake when at the end of church services, we say something like, uh, we're now going to finish worship by blah, blah, blah. Or we're going to conclude worship with this. As if worship just then stops at 11.30 when the minister says, amen. And, uh, and this, this young chap I've spoken to, he was suggesting, he said, the idea of pivoting. So, so we recognize that we worship God at all times, yes. But we also recognize that worship pivots from one particular situation to another. And those things may differ, but they're all worship. But we pivot from this type of worship in this place to that type of worship out there. And I found that helpful. So, you know, is Sunday morning here at church worship? Of course it is. And our gathered worship actually on a Sunday uh, you know, we, we do it on a Sunday. It's unique. It's important. It's a very special type of worship that does us huge good and helps us in our discipleship. So, yes, we're here to worship collectively. Gathered worship is, 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 a, is its own blessing that God has given. But when we leave this building after the service this morning, worship doesn't end. We simply pivot from one setting, gathered, shared worship, to another setting, maybe our homes, our neighborhoods, our daily lives tomorrow, where worship continues, but of course it will continue in a different form, in a different way, in a different setting. But, but as Paul says, it's about everything we do. So it isn't just about when we're singing Christian songs together, saying prayers together. It's, you know, those things are wonderful, but ultimately we worship God by the way we live including the way we do our daily work, for example, the way we speak to other people we meet, the way we treat those around us in the home, in our workplace. In fact, I think you could probably argue that the genuineness of our worship to God is really seen not so much in what we do here on Sundays. The genuineness of our worship is actually seen in the way we live the rest of the week. You know, we can all come to church and make it look great. But how are we living the rest of the week? That will tell us where our hearts are with God. And that's a challenge, isn't it? We are called, worship literally means to serve. We are called to serve God in whatever we are doing. 
by living in a way that reflects him at home, in our leisure times, our work, our friends, our families, our hobbies, our relaxation, our talking to friends, doing the housework, as we said, playing sports, as much as when we're here together on a Sunday. Laurie mentioned this uh, earlier. I think we should avoid seeing you know, these things as religious things and these other things as secular. That really, if, if Jesus is the heart of the universe, there's no such thing as sacred and sec secular. It's all Jesus's. It's all sacred. Now, this does not mean, this does not mean that we only ever do Christian-y things. Or, you know, like we can only ever have a conversation if Jesus is somehow, it's about him. Or we can only ever listen to music if it's Christian music or something. You know, in a way, that's falling back into the sacred-secular divide. You know, I can only do these things because, you know, I've said something about Jesus or I've sung something. You know, look, everything is, is from God. And it's how we live in the midst of those things that matters. Uh, I like, I'm not sure who said this entirely. It's one of those quotes that people often attribute to one person. But when you look it up, you're actually not sure. But it's a good quote. The Christian shoemaker does his duty, not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes and selling them at a fair price. You know, to do things as representatives of Jesus is to live in such a way that it reflects his character. You know, what was Jesus like? He carried the burdens of others. Uh, he blessed the weak, the forgotten. He encouraged the young, the children, when others were pushing them away. He celebrated a wedding. He ate meals, lots of eating meals with friends and sometimes with enemies. Jesus wept when he was with those who were grieving. He rejoiced at other times. He loved those who were easy to love and he loved those who nobody else wanted to love. And this was real life. You know, when you read the Gospels, Jesus I know this is an anachronism, but Jesus didn't spend all day in church. Now, he did go to the synagogue from time to time. He went to the synagogues to share in worship there at times. Sometimes he, yes, he gathered his disciples specifically to teach them. They needed to learn about God. But he also just lived life with them. And he was here and there and everywhere and walking and sharing and fishing. He did all the other things as well. Paul says here, we are to do that too. Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's a mu as much about striving to be a good friend or spouse or parent as it is about singing hallelujah in a church service. It's as much about being fair and faithful in the workplace and in our community as it is about us praying. It's as much about speaking to each other with kindness as it is about you know, preaching from a lectern. It's as much about helping someone in need as it is about feeling that joy of singing together with Christian friends. Jesus said, didn't he, when we feed the hungry or help the stranger, we're doing that unto him. So whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus with thankfulness to God. And, and that's why I just want to close, because it, it is all linked to gratitude. Verse 15, be thankful. Verse 16, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Verse 17, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. The word thanks or gratitude is wonderful in Greek. Uh, the Bible was written in Greek. 
And in Greek, the word gratitude, thanks, is a form of the word grace. And it is in other language, some other languages as well, by the way. Gracias in Spanish. Grazie in Italian. Is that how you pronounce it in Italian? Uh, in, in Greek, it's the same. Gratitude, the word gratitude, thanks, contains the word grace. They're linked. Now, what is grace? You know, we talk about grace, don't we, as Christians? Grace is what God has given us and shown us in Christ. One, one Christian speaker put it like this. Uh, grace is gift. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is what meets you in your powerlessness, your despair, your helplessness, when you have no strength, when you have no answers, and grace kisses you on the forehead and welcomes you home. Grace is the embrace when you don't feel worthy. Grace is the next breath you're going to take that you didn't even have to think to remind yourself to take. You just received it and you've been receiving your whole life. Grace. Grace is what God gives and always has been doing that, giving and giving. And grace in its fullest degree is when Jesus, God himself, gave himself for us. He lived, he died, he rose again for our salvation. Now, knowing what God has given, that's where it starts, knowing his grace, the universe's grace. It's all a gift because God is a God of grace. Knowing that, beginning with that, we must be thankful. It's the only response when life is a gift. And that's why it makes so much sense that this word gratitude comes from the word grace or gift. There's nothing to prove. There's nothing to earn. And if you didn't earn it, you can't unearn it. It's all given by God's grace. So be thankful always. And ultimately, that's where a whole life of praise, a whole life of worship comes from, from the grace that God has already given. One of the reasons I picked Colossians for us to go through is just its main point is just keep focusing on Jesus. These few verses, let the peace of Christ rule in you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. Teach each other the wisdom of Christ. Sing about Christ. Do everything in the name of Christ and do it all with gratitude because it's all the gift of Christ who is at the center of it all.